Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 11 of the Average Twilly podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today I'm joined by sports psychologist Neil Addington to really delve into the athlete's mind and to unlock their uh, natural and true potential. So Neil uh, started off as a sports psychologist with QPR. He's also done work with British Rifle Town Squad. I know Neil from our work together with Wasps Academy, and now he is with Celtic Football Academy. So Neil was, you know, is a fantastic person to get on the show today. Uh, and we talked about everything ranging from uh, an athlete's psychological problems from a day-to-day uh, basis. You know, if these problems aren't resolved, what are the consequences? You know, how we can identify these issues early from both a fellow athletes and as a coach. Um, we also looked at the performance side of it as well, in terms of how we can co- we can cope with performance-based fears. So, is there essentially any emotional conflict there? Uh, how can we mentally prepare best for games or competitions? Uh, how to develop emotional resilience so we can cope better under pressure? Um, we also looked at things like how we can bounce back from a huge loss. And we also sort of took a nice sort of um, detailed path down uh, how to best cope mentally uh, during injury and during the rehabilitation phase. I know I was definitely blown away by the just sheer amount of knowledge and experience Neil had in uh, in professional sport working as a psychologist. So if you took away half as much of value as I did, then you're going to really sort of step up and take your game to the next level. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. So, Neil, uh, a big thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, talk to us today. Thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it, mate. Awesome. No, absolute pleasure. So, today what I'd love to do is just dive into the athlete's mind and troubleshoot um, some areas that they may struggle with from a psychological perspective. So, essentially, they can always perform at their best when it matters the most. So, so to set the scene... Uh, what are the common psychological problems you see athletes experience on a, a day-to-day basis? It's a great question. And I think it's actually difficult to generalize common problems that each athlete will experience because actually each athlete is unique with, with no two athletes kind of being the same. So what we might think of a psychological challenge for one athlete might not be a psychological challenge for another. And actually they may never experience that psychological challenge. And it can obviously differ depending on the context and the circumstances of the athlete, where they are in terms of their career, what sport they're kind of playing, whether it's a team sport or an individual sport and the different psychological challenges there. So I think it's important when I'm discussing these common problems is that it's common problems I've encountered and worked with with athletes as opposed to common problems every athlete will encounter but kind of with this in mind many of the common day-to-day problems I've, I've experienced with the athletes I've worked with generally stem from them struggling and getting hooked by difficult challenging and potentially unhelpful thoughts such as I'm not good enough, 
feelings and emotions such as worry, anxiety, fear, anger, and frustration. Sensations, so things like butterflies, sweaty palms, as well as memories, the kind of replaying previous situations where, where an athlete has messed up, which then in turn impact behavior and performance. And these kind of, this leads to some of those more common psychological terms people will be more familiar with such as low self-confidence struggling to regulate emotions focusing attention making effective decisions maintaining motivation over the course of a season avoiding challenging and pressurized situations recovering effectively from mistakes communicating effectively with teammates um, sometimes bringing the necessary intensity and energy onto the pitch as well as actually engaging within engaging in purposeful practice within training. So those are kind of some of the, the common psychological problems. But I think it's also it's also important to note that some of those problems actually stem from psychological challenges that aren't related to performance and are linked with the other areas of, their, of an athlete's life. So I've worked with countless athletes on non-performance, what we'd, what we'd think of as non-performance related issues, such as um, issues with sleep, um, managing family, actually managing that kind of life works, or if it's a younger athlete, that's school balance, um, challenges or arguments with partners or family members, which all of those can then impact those previous kind of um, psychological areas that I mentioned before. So that would, <laughs> that's, that's quite a roundabout way of kind of going, there's, there's a lot of different everyday challenges that athletes experience. Yeah, hugely. No, I completely agree with that. What, one of the things you touch on there is perhaps there's a difference between um, sort of team sports and sort of, um, so we say um, self-dictated sports as well. Uh, what <laughs> are the general sort of uh, differences there that you see? So, Naturally, within a team sport, you've then got all those areas around kind of team dynamics, communicating effectively with your teammates, working well as a team. You might, you're then kind of fighting for positions within a team. You're part of a larger number of athletes, so you, do, you necessarily don't always get as much attention with with uh, with members of staff whereas if you're an individual athlete predominantly it's kind of you and the coach so that coach athlete relationship becomes really important for athletes in individual sport and actually depending on your level you may you may actually have less access to the other areas of support from a kind of multidisciplinary perspective so it might be difficult for you to get sports science or medical support or even nutritional support so that can present its own kind of psychological challenges around how you manage those areas mm, absolutely absolutely if um if perhaps these sort of um psychological issues aren't sort of um sort of resolved is there potential like consequences to this with regards to say overall sort of health and well-being performance and so on yeah definitely so all of there's plenty of literature that would that would show that all of those previous psychological areas I mentioned that if 
that they can have issues they can they can be detrimental to performance and i think this doesn't just have to be a one-off occasion and what's more what becomes more problematic is if those er if those psychological areas aren't um dealt with or there's not solutions in place to help an athlete overcome them and they continue to occur and performance continues to be impacted for longer periods of time then we know it can impact things like being selected for teams contracts sponsorship um, national selection or being selected for international tournaments which then we know can then have an impact on an athlete's well-being and mental health because um, it's continuing to impact their performance over a sustained period of time and particularly if an athlete has a very strong athletic identity and, identif and identifies themselves and their self-worth primarily through them as an athlete if if these psychological challenges are impacting their performance then they're going to they're going to really struggle so we we want to be addressing these and actually putting steps in place to prevent some of these issues becoming issues if we can help it yeah totally so i guess like uh, as the time of recording it is still the uh, sort of lockdown and the uh, covid pandemic um what are the sort of current sort of issues you're sort of experiencing with your athletes at the moment you mentioned there that perhaps uh, athletes very much like bound to the identity of the sport it's like i'm a football player i'm a rugby player i'm a triathlete and at the moment they can't particularly do those sports so have you found like issues there surrounding that yeah so we've been the staff I work with, work with have been really great in kind of keeping keeping the boys entertained through setting them different challenges and focusing on other areas of their football development. They, they've done some kind of pitch-based stuff within their physical programs, but also we've done kind of analysis tasks where we've got them to look at games or assess their own performance. Um, but also you're kind of looking during this time at the opportunities it's presented yes you may be struggling you may not be able to do what you love and enjoy but what other areas do you love and enjoy doing and this this pandemic gives that opportunity to take a step back and which we within sport we're never really that fortunate to be able to do so it allows us to kind of step back and see, well, actually, I get to spend more time with my family. Actually, I get to spend more time communicating with my friends or I might, I might learn a new hobby. We've got, we've got players that um, are trying loads of new cooking recipes through the nutritionist work, through the work the nutritionist is doing at the club. Um, and actually really branching out their skills that when they come back, hopefully there'll have been some massive learning that's taken place that they can then use and utilize when they're back actually training and playing normally yeah very very cool i think one of the things i've observed um so far is that perhaps um the majority have sort of like thrived during this lockdown period and learned new sort of skills like rose to the challenge and everything like that so they could be in a better position when they leave lockdown or in terms of sports happens and so on um but some of them have just kind of like buried their heads in the sand um what would you kind of 
you know, how do you sort of try and resolve that issue if they've just said like, right, bedhead in the sand, I'm just going to sort of watch TV for the next six to eight weeks. And then when it all blows over, I'll be back up to normal. So is there anything you can sort of say to them to get them moving in the right direction? So I would say, firstly, that that's completely understandable and, and normal. There's, there's, I don't think that is a normal way to respond to, to what's been going on. But that being said, that's also why having really effective relationships with your athletes is so important because one, you can kind of help them unpack some of that stuff and kind of why they're feeling that way. There were definitely, definitely early on, there were instances where uh, particularly with the teenage athletes we had, that it was easier to kind of, you might spend a bit of time you might spend extra time gaming or doing things perhaps that are not necessarily beneficial for your development, but actually they were important for the athletes to do in that time. And, and they kind of almost saw it as a bit of a break. Now, as we're kind of, what are we, we're getting kind of seven, eight weeks into this. I think one of the important things to help with those, with those athletes that maybe have buried their head in the sand is actually knowing your why, why, why do you do what you do? And what do you, what do you want to stand for in the face of this? So what kind of tapping into your values and your strengths, and then thinking about how can you use those within this current pandemic? What kind what little things can you kind of set yourself daily that are in line with your values that are actually you moving towards being the athlete you want to be and for and that might be something really small initially that might be for one athlete actually getting out of bed showering getting dressed and maybe going for a walk outside and for them that's that's a meaningful and important step and should be celebrated and be seen as a success so it's very much breaking it down because we've got no idea when this is really going to when there is going to be a normal and and certainly when we go back it's it's not going to be normal initially so it's it's almost kind of finding a new normal and having having that why having that purpose knowing your values and what you want to stand for really helps with that motivation and taking ownership for your development your health and your well-being during this time yeah, love that. Very cool. So when we think of like um, knowing your values, is there like an exercise people can do to identify their values and really have clarity of why they're doing something? Yeah, so an exercise I, I often do with athletes is I actually have a kind of values checklist that's kind of and, and values cards that I'll sit down with athletes and we'll kind of go through them and discuss what are the different, what are the values that resonate with them that they want to bring to themselves as an athlete or maybe with their family and friends or in other hobbies or their general lifestyle. Um, but it's also kind of, you can, you can ask yourself questions. So one that I like to use particularly with athletes is, this kind of the, the sports personality of the year and they have that, that lifetime achievement award and asking them to imagine that they were kind of, they were receiving that award 
what would they actually want other people to say about them when they when they interview kind of their teammates or their coaches or staff or friends and family about who they were as a person as an athlete what are the things that kind of stand out then and that's that's a great little exercise to kind of uncover values as well as a, another alternative is to think about what are the things you enjoy doing because generally speaking you'll you'll enjoy doing things that are in line with your values so within those activities if you start breaking down why you do them values will come out naturally by going through that reflective process no i love that exercise that's very cool and as you just sort of uh talking us through that i can very much visualize sort of myself on that um sort of podium of being introduced and stuff and it is very cool powerful exercise that's uh, that's nice so when we look at um potential sort of issues athletes can experience is there ways that we can identify if someone is struggling essentially I know when we work together at Wasps, um, I know you used to sort of um, assess training sessions and look at how the players are sort of, um, sort of engaging with the session and so on. Is there anything we can do to identify who perhaps is struggling and who's not? Yeah, I think this comes back to what we spoke about slightly earlier in terms of knowing your athletes and having good working relationships with them. Because... It's not necessarily a psychologist's, it's not within just a psychologist's remit to notice those changes. And actually quite often we're not in the door and at clubs or academies full time. So we, we don't always see everything that's going on. But you take as coaches and support staff or directors, who have more regular contact with players. If you've got an example where you've got a player who's kind of, is normally really bubbly and talkative and comes in one day or over a few days, um, they're actually really quiet and reserved. They're not having conversations with, with you. You, you. You're in that place where you're thinking something's up. Actually, it's worth me just having a conversation with them because that might uncover why why they actually do what they're actually going through in that moment. Um, one of the things I kind of use, so see, I'm I'm kind of observing training, I'm observing day-to-day -day things that are going on, but when I'm actually working with athletes, so my approach to sports psychology is from kind of an acceptance and commitment therapy or act perspective. And one thing I use when discussing psychological challenges and to uncover some of the things they're struggling with is this activity called the choice point, which was created by kind of uh, Joe Chiroki and Bailey, Russ Harris. And it's a, it's a really great mode, a, a great roadmap to help athletes understand how thoughts, feelings and challenging situations are influencing their behavior. So I can, we can then kind of break it down and I can, sh I can then use the examples that I've seen in terms of their behavior when they're performing well compared to when they're not. And we can then start uncovering, well, what, what are the reasons why that's occurring? What are those challenging thoughts, feelings, sensations and situations that are leading, to, leading them to more likely perform 
less effectively. Yeah, very cool. And I really like the point with regards to, you know, you're not always going to be in clubs like many clubs aren't going to have the fortunate um, of just having like a sports psychologist there, you know, 24-7. So therefore it relies on the support staff or even like their teammates uh, and so on to be able to identify these and just flag things up and just have that conversation with them. For sure. So kind of um, moving more onto the performance specific stuff now. So, you know, I very much the case of like, how can athletes cope with performance based fears, do you feel? So, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a great question. I think it's I think first it's about understanding why they're actually having those fears around performance. So what we know when we kind of break down fear is that if you experience fear prior to a future event happening, we aren't fearful of things that have happened in the in the past, but we could be fearful they might happen again in the future. So actually helping an athlete understand what they're fearful of. Is it they're worried what people will say about them? If they're in a team sport, will their teammates have a go at them? Will the coaches have a go at them? Or if it's a younger athlete, are their parents on the car journey home absolutely berating them or perhaps punishing them for performing poorly? Is it fear around not being selected again, particularly if it's an athlete who's making perhaps their first team debut? or an academy athlete that's kind of pushing into the first team environment or it might be around kind of contractual issues and feeling um being fearful that oh if i don't if i don't perform well today i'm not going to secure that contract for next season um i think then importantly in terms of how would we actually look to help them cope with it as i mentioned my approach is kind of from an act perspective so with that it's not actually about trying to fight or struggle with the fear quite often what athletes will tend to do is it's the kind of oh i don't like this this is big this is scary and they try and almost push it away what we call kind of experiential avoidance they try and get rid of it but what we know is that if you try and avoid something it's that classic don't think of a don't think of a pink elephant it actually makes you more likely to think about it. And if anything, it goes fearful, that, that fear comes back bigger and stronger. So a lot of the work I do is actually helping athletes kind of open up and accept that that's how they're currently feeling. They're experiencing this fear. Now, when we're saying, when I'm saying acceptance, that's not as in you have to like what you're experiencing because no one likes being fearful but it's more that you're willing to experience it because this is something that's important and meaningful for you. That's why you're experiencing fear because you care about what's going to happen. So what we're then, once we're kind of getting them to that place of kind of opening up and accepting, it's then what are those, what are those thoughts? What are those memories? What are those sensations that hook them? into experiencing that fear because normally there'll be triggers that lead to that being the case uh, i might have had a really bad warm-up I'm, I'm even less likely to play well now and this is the biggest this is the biggest game of my career or if i mess this up i'll never be picked again all of those thoughts which if we 
pay attention to them, buy into them, get hooked by hooked and caught up by them, actually then just end up influencing our behavior and impacting our performance. So it's about helping athletes unhook from that. Yeah. So would you say it's very much a case of their previous experiences or like bad previous experiences that's going to drive their emotional response, whether it be fear, anxiety, and like you said, they just hook onto that? Yeah, it can be it can be previous experiences, but it could also be fear of the unknown. If it's someone in a new situation for the first time, you could definitely be fearful around not knowing what's going to happen. Our brains love certainty they do not like that gray area in between black and white so it that's it's easier for hooks and difficult thoughts and feelings to come out as a result of that but normally if we look at if we're talking about fear there'll be other things going on that result in that fear occurring and it's about uncovering that so actually an important part is the athlete having the self-awareness of why they're experiencing that because that allows us to then to look at ways to help them unhook from it accept it actually refocus and focusing attention so i do a lot of work around kind of uh, mindfulness and task focused attention in kind of helping them to just kind of stay present because what we know is if athletes stay present and they're in that optimal performance zone or the zone of performance that flow state they're not experiencing those emotions so we want them to be in that state as much as possible and i think mindfulness and engaging in mindful practices is a great way to help with that awesome very cool so in terms of uh helping athletes sort of stay in the moment and staying very present is there certain exercises or perhaps questions they can ask themselves in order to achieve that so probably more in terms of more in terms of exercises so these can be very simple such as just focus attention on your breath and anytime you get distracted notice it acknowledge it don't beat yourself up for it because it's perfectly normal and then bring your attention back. And actually the skill is how quickly you can refocus that attention. No one in any sport can maintain a flow state for the whole length of performance, but it's when you notice that you've, when you notice that you've actually come out of that state, how can you get yourself quickly back into it? So what I like to say with athletes is kind of what's important now what do you need to focus on? What are those key actions you can engage in that then allow you to just re-engage with the game naturally? Because then you're in a position where you're just focused back on the game rather than being too caught up in your head, caught up in what you're, what you're feeling. You're just, you're just playing the game. And we know that's, that's the way when you're in that engaged state, that's where flow comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say then this almost ties in with the mental preparation for a big game, for example, say pre-game routines and so on, just being able to sort of get into that flow state? Potentially, yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's great apps out at the moment that can help with that mindfulness as well. I use, I use and advocate 
headspace quite a lot. Um, there's calm, there's stop, breathe and think, um, breathe to relax. All of these are kind of apps that I'll recommend to athletes. In terms of pre-game, having it within pre-game routines, yeah, it's that, obviously that pre-game period can last a varied amount depending on the sport and i would actually say there's no kind of there's no one best way to prepare mentally for a competition um you could have kind of a pre-game routine you could i've seen i've seen players in dressing rooms that are kind of laughing and joking with one another or you've got others who are got headphones on in their own world maybe listening to a mindfulness activity or they're actually list they're imagining their own performance or they've got their own kind of voice on record talking through their performance or what they're going to try and achieve today um what's important is working out as an athlete what works best for you so if you're in a team environment that might be laughing and joking or it might be actually being in your own kind of world and having your headphones in, or it might be a mix of it. And obviously there's differences between team sports and individuals where you, individual sports where with individual sports, you won't have teammates around you. But I think part of learning is actually learning what works best for you pre-game. And then once you got that it's about then making that into a routine doing that consistently but i'm very you've got to be careful when you use the term routine because quite often that can become a very strict and rigid um idea that then if i if i break that routine i'm guaranteed to not play well now and there can be circumstances that occur that i've definitely experienced where perhaps um, the team bus is late, so you don't normally get your hour and a half to prepare for a game. You've got 30 minutes. Or if your parents are driving you because you're a youth athlete, your car breaks down. All of these things where actually you need a bit of flexibility and maybe not necessarily routine, but thinking about what are those key things, perhaps your main essential things, that if you do them, they make you feel ready and at your best to perform on the day. And then those are the key things that you want to try and replicate as much as possible. Yeah, no, that's, that makes complete sense. I really like the, you know, you almost got your principles and the flexibility within a semi-rigid model almost. And I think I very much advocate the same thing from a nutrition perspective on game day. So we have our sort of principles and the way I'd like athletes to eat um but you know the you know again it's just the principles behind everything um it is in the case of right this time you have to eat exactly this meal at exactly this time exactly this right portion size it's roughly these are the kind of parameters we're working with uh, as long as you hit them then that's absolutely cool you don't have to have everything absolutely perfect and bang on just in case something does go wrong in terms of say you know the bus breaking down it's late you know the team meeting runs over by five ten minutes and you haven't had your caffeine bang on that time and so on so for me for myself it's so much a case of having flexibility within kind of a semi-rigid model almost 
Exactly. And there's a lot of parallels between psychology and nutrition, as, as we've discussed uh, many a time at WASPs down, down the years. Yeah, for sure. Like since working with you, um, say going into sort of last year, like it's just opened my mind so much in terms of how powerful psychology is and how it just literally just rules everything. Um, it's incredible. Uh, from you know, your eating habits, your performance, like there's loads of research coming out now with um, sort of like the psychological impact of immune function is absolutely huge. And, you know, I really think it does govern a huge amount of things. And, you know, foolishly, like I never really um, sort of valued it that much when I was sort of coming through my, my uh, education and stuff, because, I, you know, I don't think uh, anybody made me aware of how like, important it is until I kind of met you. So, no, a big thank you from that perspective. Um, no, it's really sort of opened my mind uh, massively now. Hey, not a problem at all. And, and likewise, from a nutritional perspective, you've certainly, you've certainly helped improve um, how, how I eat and, and my eating behaviours as well. So now it, it sounds like we've both learned a lot from each other, which, is, which, of course, is one of the great things when you work as part of a, a multidisciplinary team. Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. So in terms of um, when we think about, say, athletes having pressure, say, for example, um, you know, just think of, say, a penalty in football, you know, how can they sort of control that pressure and gather all their thoughts and action what they need to rather than getting, say, distracted and, again, perhaps not being in that moment? Yeah, pressure... And what we kind of perceive as pressure is, is obviously a massive area within sport and can, can massively determine um, wins, losses, titles, everything. I think one of, the, one of the big things in terms of pressure is actually experiencing it and learning from it within training. Now, we know that we cannot necessarily completely replicate kind of those the game day and, and and match days but actually it's kind of taking taking a leap out of the military and some of the other performance professions where some of the decisions and their performances there are life and death consequences and they engage the military and kind of you look at kind of doctors and surgeons in particular engage in a lot of scenario based exercises looking to replicate the pressure they would experience um, so that then they're, they're in a better position to kind of make more effective decisions and, kind of, and almost be on autopilot under pressure. Because what we know when we experience pressure, generally the emotional part of our brain, the amygdala kind of is, it kicks in and is bigger and stronger. So it's much more difficult to, actually be rational and problem solve so what we want to do is we want to create habits that allow us that when we're under that pressure we naturally know what we're looking to do and, and how we're going to look to do that and and that comes massively through training and importantly with that if we're if we're creating pressure in training and there's there's various ways that you can kind of look to do this and there's, there's a lot of research more recently that's kind of looked into this area. It's important to look at kind of actually reflecting and unpacking what happens after 
they've actually engaged in that pressure ex that pressure training exercise or session and debriefing on how they performed being open and honest with one another particularly when it's a a team sport um, and providing feedback to one another not as a way to kind of personally criticize each other but as a way to kind of improve as a group and see what you could do more effectively and then you you throw them into another different pressurized situation and see how they cope then do they learn do they adjust do they adapt and over time you're building that resilience and that kind of adaptability to be able to be effective under pressure in in competition yeah absolutely that that's really cool so it's very much a case of just learn by doing almost get thrown into these high pressure scenarios in a controlled manner and then what did you learn from it like what did you experience and then try and replicate that into a normal game mm -hmm. and that's we've talked about it more as a within a team sport but actually there's for individual athletes there is that self-awareness aspect of how you respond to pressure and reflecting on your own times when you've handled pressure well can allow you to unpack what actually maybe helped you previously perhaps it was a, a good week of training you were actually really good when you made a mistake to take perspective on those mistakes compared to times when you perhaps didn't handle pressure well and you might have been really caught up in your head um focused on what you're thinking what you're what you're feeling and experiencing so there's definitely ways that you can do it within team sports and individually i i know when i so when i used to play golf um as a as a teenager kind of competing nationally i would i would make training more difficult than when i was actually playing in a competition so what i would I, the classic one i would do is i would have 10 balls around three feet away from the cup from the hole when i was putting and my thing would be i would not leave the putting green until i'd hold all of those 10. so initially you're kind of you're knocking in the first one two three four it's kind of quite easy you're starting to get to five six you've invested a bit of time now um then you get to seven eight and then finally you're on nine and that tenth part actually you're because your mind is starting to go oh you've been out here for an hour already if you miss this you're going to be out here for an hour longer but then when i got into a competition what i found was i'd be faced with a three foot part and i'd be like i've made 10 of these and spent even longer on it so it actually helped to kind of calm me down i just went through i just i just went through the motions went through my routine and I used to I used to be a very good clutch putter and would hold a hold a lot of kind of your three to five foot putts under pressure. Wow, that's that's super cool. I really like that. So one of the uh, things you touched on there was like the emotional resilience, and mm -hmm. you know, especially say team sports, you may see say a rugby player for example, they make you know just quite a large mistake, and then you know the whole game then just spirals downwards where others can just almost just flip it straight away and then just have an absolute blinder of a game and just do really good stuff. What's kind of the differences between person A and person B? Is it a case of perhaps the experience? Uh, you know, they've just been through this process long enough to know how to sort of flip that switch or is there something else going on? Yeah, so when we talk about resilience, 
again, a lot of researchers kind of looked into this area and we can certainly see resilience as, as this kind of dynamic concept where loads of things are potentially happening, whether it's some people are perhaps more naturally predisposed to be a bit more resilient or there's protective and promotive factors that we can certainly develop in athletes to help them be more resilient. So there'll be this combination of, of things. And a lot of the work I focused, in, focused on is around kind of that building resilience and kind of helping to develop those protective factors that when stressful, when stresses and stressful situations occur, you're in a better position to, to deal with them more effectively because we're never sport is never particularly elite sport is never not going to be stressful so there are always going to be there's always going to be stress coming at you in different forms so it's then going to be the case of how do you actually how do you respond to it do you have those key protective factors in place that allow you to as you said you might be able to just recover from that mistake straight away or you might be someone that that dwells on it um for a longer period of time which then impacts your performance more so there's there's a range of different protective factors and what i've looked to do particularly within the academy environments that i've worked in as well as with individual with, with individual athletes is start to help athletes develop those resilient skills or those protective factors that then allow them to be more naturally resilient when they actually go out onto the pitch. Um, and you'll know from the, from the work we did at WASP, we had a psychology program that focused on kind of eight key areas. And within those, we would deliver workshops. There would be one-to-one -one support where we'd kind of break it down. And then we'd also, and then we'd look to take it to training and apply it so that they could, that then athletes were in the best position to implement that during a game when they're under that pressure, where they're, where they're, that emotional part of their brain is starting to go crazy. They actually know that they can handle this and they can, they can refocus their attention on what's important and meaningful in that moment. So in order to sort of facilitate that, would you then speak to the coaching staff, like, can we build this kind of scenario that evokes this kind of um, response? Would you then sort of speak to them and ask them to design the sessions around that, to put a player or an athlete in this high pressure situation and then see how they respond? It depends. It depends on, on the coach and the environment you're in. So I've, I've definitely had examples where I've done that and I've worked with coaches around ways that you can implement resilience. But actually, from the training that I've observed, it's, it's actually, coaches are very good at putting pressure, are generally pretty good at putting pressure on athletes um, and encouraging them to be resilient. So what it's more the case actually is helping to join the dots sometimes for the coach to understand actually your this is resilience that you're building here so um one that one that i use with the coaches current one that's used with the coaches currently is this idea that 
if a player is fouled, uh, there's no kind of free kick given. Now, the coaches didn't have that in mind as a, res as an, as a way to build resilience. But actually, it is a resilient quality. And what we've noticed over time, initially when they were fouled, the players would kind of be rolling on the floor, complaining, wanting a free kick. Whereas now they realise they're not getting it. So they get up quicker, which then what we know is that what happens on game day isn't, doesn't just happen by magic. It's all the hard work that is put into training um, day in, day out leads to that performance on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday or maybe even a Friday evening. Um, so then you're helping to build that habit, build that skill that then transfers onto the pitch um, at a kind of later day or so that's so yeah there's there's a variety of ways you can look to kind of build it within training but as I as I mentioned before you could also look at it if you do that and you're kind of joining those dots it's important to reflect on it with the athletes as well and to have those conversations around what you notice so oh there was this pressurized exercise or just this exercise in training that created some pressure for an athlete, required them to be resilient, and they weren't able to do it. So let's unpack that. What was going on? What was the athlete thinking? What was the athlete feeling? What were they experiencing as this was going on? Because then what you're doing is you're getting that explicit learning, particularly, particularly with the youth athletes that I work with. They're in this, the, the great thing with teenage athletes is that they're in this golden opportunity of learning where their brains are massively receptive to information coming in and they learn at an incredible rate, but their brains are underdeveloped. So what we might think as something that they would know develops resilience, actually, if we don't explicitly unpack it and reflect on it with them, they won't connect those dots. So you might a, a common example is perhaps a team that when they go behind, they don't end up performing well. Um, they, al they always lose. But actually, within training, when they're in their kind of small-sided games, actually they regularly are behind and they go on to win. But if you never join those dots, they're always thinking that whenever I'm behind, I never win. So you want them to understand, well, what is it in training that you do that allows you to turn it around there in the small-sided game that you can then take onto the pitch as a as a complete team on match day. Yeah, very nice. So I think it then I guess it's um, you know just increasing mindfulness and make them very much aware of right. I've, this is how I feel. This is the scenario. Why can't I replicate this in different environments and stuff like that? Exactly. No, super cool. So kind of like moving on to like the injury side of things. And I know uh, from experience that, you know, injury is going to have a huge sort of physiological stress and a huge psychological stress as well. So if, for example, an athlete has, you know, a long-term injury, say um, an ACL or something like that, season ending, obviously like they're going to feel pretty terrible and they're probably going to bury their heads in the sand for the first for a week or so. Um, but how can you sort of help them sort of cope with that injury and how can you almost like set them on the right path 
going forward so they can get the most out of the rehabilitation phase and return to play uh, even quicker. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. I, I like how you like how you also incorporated that there is that psychological stress that occurs now. Um, the, the research has shown, and we, we hear so many examples um, in the media, players that have, that have struggled with long-term injuries. And actually, the long-term injury, there's, there's some great research that has kind of shown that long-term injuries end up resulting in athletes engaging in more problematic behaviors or experiencing mental health disorders. So we know, we know it's a massively important area. And it's why within any environment I work it, I work in, and I will always work with long-term injured athletes because they are really in that vulnerable state to experience psychological distress. In terms of the kind of the advice and supporting them through that injury, it then varies depending on which stage of the recovery process they are in. So if we kind of look at that initial onset, as you mentioned, it's the injuries occurred, it's pretty raw, they might be waiting for surgery, they might, have, they might have had the surgery. Actually, a big area in at this point is actually being able to talk through the injury incident, what they're, and how, what they're thinking and feeling about it currently, and helping them to kind of come to terms and accept what's happened. And again, as I mentioned before, that acceptance is not that you have to feel good about it, but you acknowledge that you're willing to kind of have this challenging and difficult experience currently in the service of becoming, in the service of achieving what you want to achieve in the longer term. But what I'll also look to do quite early on is, is we'll have kind of, I'll get, I'll ask athletes to kind of keep a recovery journal where they're kind of writing things down that are meaningful for them throughout the injury process. And actually this acts as a great reminder to show how far they've come since the initial injury. And particularly if there are a few bumps in the road, which there inevitably will be, there might even be a few setbacks. Actually that, that little setback, compared to where they started off at, when they can see that perspective and they can see where they've actually got to, that's a, that's a big success story. That's, that's great. There's, there's been so many great things that they've been able to do. Um, one, of, one, one of the other kind of common misconceptions with athletes that are injured for a long period of time is that they think they can't continue developing and improving as a player. We know there's, there's many examples where athletes have grown from injury and not just maintained their previous level, but they've actually exceeded it. And what we can kind of look at in the literature is kind of termed as post-traumatic growth because experiencing an injury can be traumatic if it's, if it's a serious injury. So although you're limited in terms of your technical and physical development, actually you can still work on the tactical side or the psychological side, um, kind of players can be watching their own previous games. They can be watching training. They can be working on the psychological aspects of their development. They might actually be 
getting in touch with their values and what kind of athlete and person they want to be in the face of this challenge. And then we can look to kind of set goals in line with those values that they can they can achieve daily to so kind of daily intentions because if you're if you're out with an acl for say six to nine months it's that that's that's a long way away so what can we focus on now and day to day that actually helps you work towards that um and then as we're kind of going through that recovery process I've spent, I've spent time helping athletes engage again in mindfulness, actually in terms of movement during their rehab exercises. It's a great way to actually learn and uh, relearn and understand how you do things and notice differences. So with footballers, when they start to kind of, when they start starting to be able to use a ball again and be able to, to pass a ball, noticing those differences when they, when they kick it with the different areas of their feet or with rugby players when they have their hands in slightly different positions or they extend their arm their, they extend their arms through in a slightly different way or the differences when they're trying to do a spin pass compared to your normal kind of pop pass things that we we often and athletes often take for granted you get to relearn which then allows you to know what the most effective technique is and then which can be massive in terms of learning and it's it's a great kind of it's a way to kind of really help you get present and engaged in what you're doing one other key area that i that is very important with athletes that are long-term long-term injured is their social support and there's a lot of evidence that having a good social support network around you is really important for recovery. So I'm looking to see what that social support looks like and helping them kind of unpack it. Because quite often athletes can feel, can almost feel this kind of sense they need to keep themselves to themselves or, they, or if it's within a team environment, they're not always necessarily included in what's going on. So it's important to help build that support network for an athlete so that they're in a better position to recover. And then finally, as we're kind of, we're really nearing that return from that long-term injury, we know there's, there can be fears around re-injury and re, depending on the sport, worrying about situations where you previously experienced the injury so kind of replaying that incident over and over again so what I'll then look to do is help athletes unhook from those difficult thoughts and feelings and we'll unpack it because what we want to do is make sure that they're psychologically ready as well as physiologically ready and I've, I've had conversations where with coaches where actually we've stopped a player playing or returning to training because they're not in the psychological state to do it and we've spent a little bit more time helping them reduce that fear of re-injury it's it, it's obviously there's naturally going to be difficult thoughts and feelings that show up when you return but it's having less of, of an impact on the behavior that they're then in a better position psychologically to reintegrate into training so i think it's an, it, that's a really important point for kind of 
physios, sports scientists, the, the greater MDT and coaches, just because someone is physiologically ready, you have to be very aware, are they actually psychologically ready? Because you can, you can see it clear as day. What, I've, I've, I've seen incidences where players have returned, um, not players that I've worked with, but other players who you can tell that they're petrified and you're just praying that they can get through that trekking session unhurt because they are avoiding any, any form of contact or any situation where they might experience an injury. Yet, potentially, it would have been better if, if a conversation would have been had initially with the athlete to help them manage this more effectively that would then allow them to transition back more effectively onto the pitch. So that's that's quite a uh, <laughs> a long a long answer for for that question, but I think there's I think there's there's so many different aspects to the injury process, and there's so many psychological areas that that go on within it that it's not as as I think as I, as I think you and your listeners are are potentially realizing by the length of some of my answers, it's it's not quite so black and white. There's a there's a lot of different ways of doing things and there's a lot of different things that can pop up so it's important to show what that journey can look like for an athlete particularly with a long-term injury no that, that answer was incredible that was so good um i think like when we look at things from a nutrition perspective anyway is always a case of right we have these tools in our toolbox and it's like right what tool works for you in this specific job um so i guess it's very much the same from the psychological aspect of, as well we've got all these strategies all these tools they may work they may not work let's try it out and let's see what what the result is is there a same sort of uh, vein of thought there yeah so i think it was right at the beginning where i said that obviously every athlete is unique so something you use with, with one player to deal with a psychological psychological area won't be the same thing you use with another they'll obviously be overlap in these areas but yeah you're you're always looking to make content specific and relevant to whoever you're working with so whether that's an individual whether that's a team whether that's a team of staff or an mdt it's always making things relevant to the environment you're in 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 that period of time yeah very cool and you know i know you say like uh there's a lot of gray area in terms of psychology psychology and there's no sort of black or white but i'm going to try and get you to give me a black and white answer now <laughs> so if there's uh essentially like three things you can suggest for an athlete from a psychological perspective to go from average to elite what would they be yeah, you really are trying to trying to cover three things. Um, I think, firstly, know your why for playing and competing in your sport. Know where you want to get to, what you want to achieve long term, and then break it down and work towards it. What we know is you don't just go from average to elite overnight. It's it's a long journey, so knowing your why, knowing what you want to get to, provides you with that motivation to keep going when there are those challenges, those roadblock, potential roadblocks or road or bumps in the road over that journey. 
Secondly, kind of actually understanding yourself. So the importance of kind of developing self-awareness. So what are those thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, situations that hook you, that cause you to struggle under pressure, that impact your performance? But on the flip side, what are your strengths? What are your values? What are the helpers that you currently do that allow you to perform successfully? And if you're not aware of those, then actually that's a, you want to be reflecting on that. And that, that, that would take up a whole other podcast in terms of the questions you'd be asking. Um, but definitely having that understanding of yourself. And then finally, training purpose, purposefully. So kind of the literature on purposeful practice. Um, it's easy, from my experience, it's easy to just go through the motions in training. So that quite often I'll speak with athletes and they finish the session and they don't actually know what they've achieved and how it's helped them develop as an athlete, particularly with um, perhaps amateur athletes or semi-pro athletes. So you want to be having a clear goal within your training. You want to be focused and present on the task so you're aware of what's going on. So then you can use the feedback and adjust your technique or what you're doing based on what you're noticing as well as kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone because if you never if you never go beyond your comfort zone then you're never going to stretch your ability to improve and get better so hopefully <laughs> that's i'm actually quite surprised i managed to make that so <laughs> succinct <laughs> or at least more succinct than the other questions you've asked me no, that's so good. And um, no, I think everybody, I certainly have today. And I hope everyone else has taken loads out of this podcast and, you know, they can go away and start being more mindful about their own sort of uh, performance and how they approach different sessions, games and so on. So Neil, an absolutely huge thank you for joining me today. And um, if anybody wants to sort of follow you and um, get more insight into psychology and what you do, uh, where, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? And so I'm on Twitter, generally Twitter and LinkedIn. So I'm at Neil underscore Addington for my Twitter profile. And then if you just type in Neil Addington into LinkedIn, should hopefully be able to find me there. And yeah, but by any means, if anyone kind of has any further questions or wants to get in contact with me directly, please get in touch i'm more more than happy to help and and answer any questions support any way that i that i can neil that is incredible thank you very much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on no worries and thank you for having me on it's been a pleasure mate